Hello everybody, how's it going? I'm Chase Jarvis and welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. In the show, I sit down with the top creative entrepreneurs, thought leaders, uh, just general badasses, and I do my very, very best to unpack actionable, valuable insights and help you live your dreams and career, hobby, and life. The thinking is that you are going to actually learn something. Imagine that. But you're gonna learn something from people that you have you've heard of, you you either know, you've heard of, or you are gonna be very excited to learn from. The guests that I get to bring on this show, whew, I think, I think, I think it's an impressive list myself personally. Um, and my guest today is aligned with that freaking awesomeness. His name, I wonder, actually, I guarantee you know this person. You've paraded around in your youth singing his songs. I'm, I'll just say, I'll, here's the hint. His baby has back. He definitely cruised Broadway. He's a Grammy Award winner. His name is the one and only Sir Mix-a-Lot. Mix, his name is actually Anthony, but I'll, I just call him Mix. Uh, we've been friends for, God, a good five years. And I've I've heard a lot of interviews with Mix-a-Lot from early days when he was just blowing up posses on Broadway and all that stuff to late in his career. And I, I truly believe we cover ground that has never been shared. And I feel like, you know, I, I referenced all the ways that you would know him from his music, but I also guarantee that there is an, a completely other side of the same coin. For everything you think you know about him, there are a dozen things that you don't know about Mix. Some of those things, uh, one is that he is a self-described tinkerer. He builds amplifiers from the ground up. I'm talking like soldering wires onto motherboards and tubes and stuff like that. I mean, he has a shop and he builds stuff from the ground up, not just beats. I mean, he actually makes speakers to listen to music. Talk about a renaissance, man. And you would have no idea. I mean, he's talking about eating Dick's cheeseburgers here in Seattle. He really, he's, he's an amazing, he's an amazing tinker. And he likes to share this kind of stuff because people don't know that about him. His early dreams in life weren't to be, wasn't, weren't. His early dreams weren't. Yeah, his early dreams weren't to be the best hip hop artist in the world. And I'm going to, I'm not going to reveal here in this intro what his dreams were. You're going to have to listen to it. But it's, I think you're going to be surprised. And it has everything to do with context. Growing up as a young black man in the south side of Seattle, he talks about selling gadgets that he built out of his mother's basement floor apartment window and a bunch of other stuff. You'll you'll learn things about Sir Mix-a-Lot you never thought you'd knew. And these things are, are valuable. I mean, he talks about you and I, his fans, being bosses. He, the guy understands that in order to have a relationship with an audience where they care enough to go see you at a concert or to listen to you, that you have to have meaning in their lives. And so he looks at his role as sort of working for in collaboration with his fans. He talks about how necessity breeds creativity. He talks about how a career isn't a sprint, but rather a marathon. And this is something that I, I need massive reinforcement here. And if you're anything like me, I bet you do too. You want everything to happen tomorrow. You want to be an overnight success. Uh, he does a really good job of putting all that into context. He gives you some shortcuts, but he really puts a nice frame on how you should think about building your career. And it makes you feel human, not like a loser. It's really, he does a great, great job. Um, you know, and, and I've heard so many interviews 
with Mix. I really have. And I believe that we have created something together here that is on record nowhere else on the internet. Again, creativity, survival. We talk about money management, career plan. You get it. I'm going to get out of the damn way here and just let you listen to our conversation. I guarantee it's going to change what you thought of Sir Mix a lot. But before I do that, I would like to give a shout out to our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest hub for online creative education. Education in photo, video, art design, music and audio, and the ability to make a living and a life in those disciplines. It's the highest quality, highly curated classes taught by the world's top experts. We're talking Pulitzer Prize winners, Oscar winners, Grammy Award winners, New York Times bestselling authors, and the best entrepreneurs of our time. Names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, Ariana Huffington are on the platform. And you get classes taught from guys like Tim Ferriss, Lewis Howes, uh, Ramit Sethi. Again, I could list uh, a thousand other names of the top photographers, designers, musicians, the best in class. You get it. Now, right now, if you're familiar with me and my work, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't that a company that you started, Chase? Well, yes, it is. In fact, Creative Live makes this entire podcast possible. And in fact, all of my longstanding Chase Jarvis Live shows. Creative Live has millions of students around the world more than 2 billion minutes of education have been consumed on that video platform so you know that's a little bit of the sort of the what and the how behind creative live but here's the why which i think is so critical creative live exists to help you live your dreams in career hobby and life in short i started creative live with a bunch of really committed friends because we saw a a big need in the world we wanted to help our peers and friends and, and folks out there in the world transition to new careers live new dreams take the leap if you will into an entirely different sort of direction where you can leave that job maybe your job with the man and strike out on your own i also saw my peers in the photo and design world needing to sort of up their skills and get ahead And I saw friends who were happily working at great companies but wanted to pursue their hobby to a next level that, you know, might someday parlay into a side hustle. So we built that platform. Uh, These classes at Creative Live are the most highly and authentically produced of any of the online video platforms you'll experience. The top experts, it's all shot with 48 cameras, all in HD, beautifully presented and accessible on desktop, tablet, mobile. You know I stand for quality and that's what Creative Live puts out. To that end, I have also taken it upon myself to curate a handful of my very favorite classes and mix them in with some of the top performing classes on Creative Live. And I'll bake that into a landing page called creativelive.com slash hustle just for you. This community listens to our podcast here. So you should go there and you should check that out as a special thank you for being a podcast listener. If you find a class that you love, either from the ones that I've curated or elsewhere on the site, and you want to buy it, during checkout, enter the code CHASER. That's my name plus an R, just C-H-A-S-E-R. And do that during checkout and you'll get 25% off your order. Uh, I think that's awesome and I hope you do too. So thanks very much for checking it out. Let me know what you think. Now that's it for the sponsors. Uh, Now let's get into the show. All right. Mix, welcome to the show, man. What's up, man? What's up? It's been a while, I'm right? Back. It's been a grip. You we, let me back in here. That's right. Man. It is almost exactly the same place we were like three years ago. Yep. Yep. And actually, I'm going to go back because I woke up one morning and my social shit was all on fire because everyone was saying, Sir Mix called you out. Mix a lot just was talking trash. Do you remember this? You no. made a YouTube video. And it was just, it was a gimmick. You were pushing some tech thing. You got, I know you got your fingers in all kinds of stuff. You were pushing some tech company 
and you just straight up called me out. Nobody fucks with Chase. <laughs> he that knows. wasn't me, man. You got me mixed up. This is this is gonna be that's gonna be the takeaway, the tweetable quote from this thing is nobody yeah. fucks with Chase from yep. there you go. Don't from, fuck with from Chase. Mix-a-Lot. Um but that was like that was like three years ago. And you've been busy since then. Yeah, man, staying busy. I'm up always doing something. That's one of the reasons I wanted you in the series is because um, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Talk yep. to me about that. Well, you know, I, I mean, when I, when I got in the game, of course I was young and it looks like those checks would just come forever. You don't have to do anything. Just put the song out and go home and wait. And the checks came, came, came. Then they slowed down like, oh shit, I do have to work, right? So I started then figuring out that I got to figure out ways to leverage my brand and um, do it right. Yep. And it's easy to do it wrong, isn't it? Oh, oh man, it's so easy. To, it's so easy to do what looks like the cool thing, yep. the low-hanging fruit, and then you end up somewhere, you know, with your ass hanging out on TMZ, right? So yeah, you do three or four low-hanging fruits, and all of a sudden you're exactly, out of the hole, right? exactly. <clears throat> then you're then you're everybody's punchline on Jeopardy or something. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to try to do something, uh, keep my stuff together, and then start doing some of the things, kind of brand expansion, kind of use my brand to get people in. And then they get to see like, oh shit, this guy's really into technology. Yeah. Not, not one of these rappers who says, oh yeah, I'm in the tech. And what I did is I just gave somebody a half million dollars to create some shit and put my name on it. No, right. I mean, I actually build, I actually have a shop. I actually have a CNC machine. Yeah, you're you like know. literally soldering. I do stuff, my own right? soldering, I do my own building, I do my own cutting metal, laser, everything. You know, write my own G code, all that stuff. So let's go back, that's right now. Let's go back, is that a piece of your DNA? Or is Always that something you learned? Is like, where did, no. where did making come from? I think, you know, the, the audience of people who are paying attention right now, uh, they are self-identified as creative or want to be more creative. They're builders by nature. But there's a lot of people, that's most of the audience, but there's a lot of people who are watching that haven't gone from zero to one yet. They haven't said like, you know what, I want to leave my XYZ job yeah. or I want to actually make something in my hobby, the thing that I've been sort of afraid to. So was A, was your DNA, always your DNA and is it the same DNA you got today or have you sort of grown and changed and what do you believe about people who don't think that they they got it what can you tell them well first and foremost um, I really didn't know what that DNA was my mom bought me when I was 13 years old she bought me a pair of walkie-talkies and me and my friend used the walkie-talkies were they gray with the orange button on no top? these were like kind of like the little blue ones that had the little you know, a little volume knob and a squelch knob <laughs> and a rubber duck antenna, I'm a not, little thing on the side, and that was it. I, you had those two, huh? <laughs> I think we're dangerously close to the same age. I had those same Yes, ones. got them at Radio Shack. And uh, for no those of way. you who don't know, Radio Shack used to be a store. But anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I broke them because I was trying to figure out how to make them talk further because we kept hearing things that we had never heard before. And we went down to Radio Shack and he gave us these things called crystals. And you could put crystals were channels. And they gave us one called the Super Bowl, which is channel six. The frequency is 27.0250. And I was just 13, 14, but we're hearing people and they didn't sound like us. All of a sudden we hear this guy calling a guy named Magnum 44. I remember this. Well, Magnum 44, he got Reverend Doc the 302 down here in the flatlands of Kansas. I'm like, the fuck is this? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, hey, dude, in the flatlands of Kansas. I didn't know what I was saying, right? And, right. So I, I went back to Radio Shack. I'm like, how come that guy that says he's in the flatlands of Kansas can't hear me, but I can hear him? I didn't understand. He said, well, he has power. You don't. And shouldn't have told me that. Um, <laughs> I, I started, There's a lot buried in that message right there. Oh, man, it? I started looking for 
broken like RF amplifiers and trying to fix them and learning how to fix them. And I taught myself how to read schematics. I bought what's called a, a amateur radio, I forget, AR, amateur radio something handbook. But anyway, I went to the back of that and I learned what the little squiggly line meant, resistor, and the little, the little hook with the line was a capacitor. And I taught myself how to read schematics and I started building stuff. And um, that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought was, I was, wait, be was that before music for you? Oh, way before. I was just a kid. Wow. Baby. Like 14, 15. I built my first amp at 15 years old. And it didn't wow. work that well. And the leads were too long. And it, you know, it was, you put it on a analyzer. Look judging your 14-year-old yeah. self. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should have slapped you, myself. You built, like you built amps. Yeah, man. And, and what happened was, um, obviously that wasn't very profitable, building illegal made, made communication hundreds, amplifiers. Right? Yeah, <laughs> hundreds of pennies. <laughs> so I, I ended up fixing some for older guys just to see if I could do it. And then one day, I'm watching MTV when MTV first started, and I saw this group called Kraftwerk. Absolutely. And when I saw Kraftwerk, they were playing gadgets. It wasn't no drums, no guitars, just gadgets. This guy had a thing on his arm, he's doom, 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 just making music with stuff. And I realized that's totally what I wanted to do. Totally fashion yeah. on their own. Yeah, yeah, it was, was all about sensors, and they were making their own instruments. I said, that's what I want to do. Because it's already, the, the CB stuff already piqued my curiosity. And that just solidified what I wanted to do. I, it wasn't, rap, rap was new, right? So I didn't care whether I, who sang rap, I didn't care. Uh -huh. I just wanted to make those noises. And I just went nuts, chasing it, chasing it, chasing it. Never thought about monetizing it, just trying to mimic the sound initially. And once I learned how to mimic it, then I said, let me try to make my own stuff. And You're literally describing the process, like it, you, yeah. you get inspired, you get, you, you, you sort of get energy, you lean in and you imitate, yep. and yep. then you start sort of creating, and that start is a path create. that everyone goes, and I think the people that I was asking about earlier, the people who haven't started that process yet, they think they don't have it in them. But it's did, in is you. there, a th yeah, was there a thing where you, you said, this is not in me? No, you just started. Yeah, you don't, you know, everybody has something. Every, I, I, always, I always believe that everybody has a calling. There's something, you may not know what it is because you're fighting it, because you want to fit, cookie cutter. It says nine to five is what I should be. It says, yep. but that may not be your, what, your, what your calling is. While you're doing that nine to five, there's something, if you open your eyes, there's something, I wanna make one of these. You, you have to do it. You're not gonna stop until you do it. You don't even think about profitability, you just do it. And as you get better and better and better and better and better at it, you open your eyes and you realize, oh. There might be a thing here that I you. I might be a professional, you know, and you go forward, but Many people I talk to will tell you they're not good at anything. And then you'll see, because you've seen it in so many people, you'll see something they do and like, dude, did you just see what you just did? That has value. What did I just do? Has yeah, no idea. They literally don't. And yeah. the same, same, like, again, let's go back to your story. You, did you think for a second that if you made instruments for people that that was gonna be your life? No, I didn't. I just, I just wanted to make the sound first. So then I finished, I, I learned how to make the sounds. So I said, I need somebody to rap or sing or something. I didn't care who it was. So I went and found a couple of guys that I knew around town and they started rapping over these goofy beats and I would do these mixtapes. They weren't called mixtapes and it was just mixtapes. I just take like those things. Yeah, just cassette. <laughs> I just take a cassette and I would put your name. So Chase comes to my window. When I lived in a project, you'd give me 10 bucks. You'd come back seven days later and you would have a 30 minute side of a tape 
no with way. mixes and stuff and your name in it and raps about you and Smurf voices and robots saying your name, whatever the stupid shit was. But people bought them and I was selling them at $10 a crack. Well, $10 a crack, when you live with mom, that's good money. Yeah. You can get pop, all the shit you ain't supposed to eat, licorice. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that, that's kind of where it started. I, I crush licorice. Yeah, so I oh, know, dude. I drove from Seattle to San Diego one time. I went to school down there. Yep. I ate an entire, you know those big ass tubs? Oh yeah. yeah. I had an entire one the big of those. Round ones. Yeah, in a single sitting. Yeah, you just pull one at a time out of there. Th- those weren't made for one guy, you know that right? They I made for know. Okay. You should, <laughs> just so you know. I did that and here's the kicker. This is literally how I got to San Diego. A, a, a whole jug of red vines and twenty-four, count them, twenty-four grape sodas. Woo! That would kill God, me. Yeah. <laughs> Diabetes on feet. <laughs> All right, but we're back to Sir Mix a lot. You said in the projects. Mm-hmm. Can you can you give us a little background there? I had no idea. That um, you had I, I was born, going. you know, I was born in the Rainier Vista, okay, um, which is gone now. But then we moved from the Rainier Vista to the Bryant Manor. The Bryant Manor Apartments is where I was pretty much raised. That's where my memorable years, put it that way, yeah. from 13 to about 19. And um, and for people who are just tuning in from all over the world, where is that? Brian Manor's up on 19th and Yesler in the hood. That's right. It's right in Seattle. In we're we're in hood. Seattle right now. I, came I mean, I grew country. up. You know, I, it's kind of weird because I had temptation all around me, negative. Yeah. I mean, there literally, and I'm not exaggerating, anybody from that er- era and that area will tell you, from here to that table over there, I could watch pimps doing their thing. And I thought pimps, I wanted to be a pimp at first. Wow. And then I realized I was making money fixing eight track decks in pimps' cars. Right? I'm like, ah, pimps ain't shit, I'm pimping pimps. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was the way I looked at it, man. And, and um, I got, we moved, we moved out to the south end, out to the Lakeshore Village. And we had a, um, a first floor apartment and I had a window. And I have a little studio in my house. I had a little, little keyboard, and a little Casio piece of shit. And I had a little synth that a guy had threw away and I fixed it. Some of his oscillators had some problems. I put new pots in it and they worked fine. New potentiometers and stuff. So I had that and a little drum machine the first Dr. Rhythm, a little Roland called a DR-110. And I was making beats and mixing them with records and I started selling tapes out of that window. And when did the moniker, what, what moniker were you, were you just Anthony Bray at that point? Or were you, is, did you have I had so name? many different names. I called myself, cause I, I, I was so busy trying to be high tech all the time. I was dumb names like <laughs> Spaceman and Electronic This <laughs> and Electro This and Electro That. And uh, it was, it, so I, I couldn't find an, I didn't find a name for a long time. And then I started doing parties at the Rotary Boys Club on 19th and Spruce. I started DJing wow. parties. And when I was DJing those parties, I would bring, like there was a song called Freakazoid. Everybody used to dance to girls. I'll be they would do the prep. Yeah, exactly. Come on and wind me up. Yeah, that song. So I would take that song, and then I had the drum machines. I had a vocoder by that time. Every dime I made off my music, I put it right back into buying more stuff, right? My mom hated that, by the way. But there's so many lessons here. Sorry, keep yeah. going, keep going. Yeah, so I, I had the vocoder so I could mimic that Z-O-I-D-S. So what would happen is you'd be in the middle of dancing a Freakazoid, and I would mix a live version with a separate drum machine, synth, and I'm sitting there doing this stuff with the mic, and people were dancing, but they're like, what? Because keep happening. in mind, nobody yeah. was remixing them. Right. So they're looking around like, what the fuck happened to the song? They liked it, but they were like, 
something's weird. And I never told anybody what it was because I was kind of shy. I wanted somebody else to do my vocals. And I got dubbed by people then, Sir Mix-a-Lot. It's like, dude, you'll mix anything into your tracks. You would just mix a record and turn it into your record and come back out of it. And that, that is what I did. So that's where the, that's where the title came from. So I, I'm, I'm still focused on the zero to one question because I, again, there's so many people, who, mm -hmm. anyone who is sort of in the creative mindset considers themselves there, they can extrapolate 10 different things from what you just said, but still for the folks that are just trying to sort of lean into this, something they're curious about. I, I, what I found really interested, what you, uh, interesting about what you said right there is that I guess there's this pattern of you not even knowing. You, you shy, you describe yeah. yourself as shy. Never gave an oral report in high school. Never, I was terrified. I wouldn't stand up in front of the class. There, there is nobody on this planet that would tell you I ever gave an oral report in high school. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't do it, I was terrified. So, like, there's a, a handful of new books and a lot of research that comes out about sort of introverts or the new extroverts, basically. Yeah. Like this, uh, it used to be believed that I think you needed to be an extrovert to, to no. Be on TV opposite. to make money doing the things you want to, and it really is like there is this a huge swath of research that just come out in the last couple of years. Uh, what is it? How to uh, how to do something in a world that won't stop talking or something like that. It's a great book. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, do you consider yourself an introvert? To a, yeah, and, really and introverts remember it's not like what do you do at parties. It's how do you recharge? How do you get energy? Yeah, and, and that, I, I would say yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I like you have a tendency to talk to success, all successful people I know. Yeah. And I'm part of a car club and it's full of successful people, Microsoft guys and self-made guys. Yeah. And every single one had that trait. You know, wow. they, they come out and do their thing and go, what are you gonna do for the rest of the day, man? I'm just gonna go chill, go home, do some work. Because work is what I love. I love it. And people that don't understand that always go, you need a break. I'm like, this is my break. Work is my break, so I am an introvert. I, I don't go to clubs, right? So I perform, bring girls up on the stage, I do all that shit, but I don't go to clubs. I don't go out in crowds very often, which is kind of interesting, unless it's to see somebody. Like when I went to see Bootsy Collins at Bumper Shoot. Incredible. Hey man, I gotta see Bootsy Collins. I don't care where he's playing, <laughs> I gotta go. So stuff like that, but yeah, I, I am an introvert. I do, uh, but it's not, to the level of, of some artists that I've seen it, who sure. do it and they make it, they overdo it. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. want it to look cool. No, it's just one of those things where I'll shake your hand, I meet you, but when I go eat, I'm really uncomfortable when people go, oh my God, it's it freaks me out a little bit, but I speak to them because I, uh, I've always believed in treating, treating my fans like they're my bosses, because they are. They're writing the checks. If your boss stopped and said, Anthony, come take a picture with me, you're probably gonna do it. It's your boss, right? So that's <laughs> the way I look at it. Person, whoever's writing the check. Yep. So the, I think the introvert thing, again, for the people who are trying to go from zero to one, you don't need to, to have this sort of absolutely gigantic personality. And in truth, I feel like I'm, I'm generally extroverted, but I feel like I'm more, when it sort of became okay, and again, this is, I've spent a lot of time, personal time doing work about like, is it okay to be like who you are? Yeah. And I grew up as an athlete, an athlete and an artist, like the weird, like oh that kid's so creative. In my high school, yeah. that meant fucked up. That kid's weird. <laughs> so I literally, and you know, and I was like, all right, great. I'm gonna be the captain of the football team then, and just basically did the thing that I was supposed to do. And it took me years and years and years to break out of that. And yeah. now, as soon as I was able to, like, not that I, again, I'm, this, these are teenage problems uh, for me, but 
that really, when I sort of got in touch with my authentic self, that unlocked yeah. all kinds of shit. So how do you grow up in the projects and sell tapes out of your mama's window for yeah. 10 bucks? Yeah. And then how does a guy get a break? Well, and that's where it's a saying I have, and I know I, know I made this saying up, I always use it, hard work. A lot of people say, I got here with hard work. Kind of. I believe hard work is merely preparation for a lucky day. I say that to everybody and I swear by it and I'll say it to the day I check out. <clears throat> when I'm working on this music and I'm working on mixing and I'm working, I, I had nothing. Nothing was coming in, you know, $10 for a tape. That's about the best I could do, right? I still had to go, still had to work. Yeah. So one day I get, I'm at the boys club doing a, doing a show and Ness Rodriguez walks in. Um, and he nasty was the, Ness. Nasty Rodriguez. Ness, yeah. He was, he was the DJ at, uh, at uh, K-Fox back in the day. And 1600 on the m He walks in. Now, I act like I hated Ness because in that era, you had the street DJ and you had the radio DJ. Street DJs were jealous of the radio DJs. Because <laughs> they had jobs. So I was, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm acting like I hated this guy. And then he walks in, I'm like, oh shit, Ness is here. So I was like, I'm scratching faster and doing all my shit and showing off and spinning around. And, and it, was really, it was really interesting. And Ness invited me to, um, wanted me to meet a friend of his in Chinatown. Um, so I didn't want him to see what kind of car I drove. So I waited till he left and I got in my 69 Buick that I sing about called my Hoopty. That was a real car. I got in my old 69 Buick and I drove down to Chinatown and parked way away and walked down and met Ness and I met Ed Locke and I met Greg Jones and I, all the people that started Nasty Mix Records. And that's kind of where it started. And I so didn't was, get it did then. he seek you? Did he come into the party or was it random people? Yeah, like, Ness, Ness, I guess, had been hearing about me. Yeah. And he said, let me go check this guy out, you know. And when he walked in initially. Who's this kid? Did you have, did you go into the, by the moniker Sir Mixlot? Yeah, I was Sir Mixlot okay. then. Yeah, I, yeah. And he, he had heard about it and I was making songs. Um, and the thing that Ness did, which is kind of interesting how everything kind of comes around, I didn't realize that my hard work was paying off because when he, he said, hey man, I need you to come down to the radio station and can you make an intro for my show. Oh, oh no problem. And everybody looked around at me like, you can do that? Yeah, because I had been doing it so long, but I thought it was normal and I realized nobody had home studios in those days. I mean, back when I had uh, bought my first four track cassette, I didn't know anybody with one. I mean, I, you know, I think my first four track cassette was stolen actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was a stolen machine. I got it for a hundred bucks, probably a thousand dollar machine. That being said, I did go back to the store that I think he stole it from, and I spent a whole lot of money. So. Fair enough. Just trying to clean it up. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I, we started doing, I started doing stuff with Ness, but then I started to understand how to communicate with math, with the masses, because I didn't know how to do that. And that's where I shed the whole needing somebody else to do my vocals, yeah. and I became comfortable doing my vocals because I watched Ness talk to people. So let me, this is critical. Mm -hmm. So was this an intentional shift that you said, hey self, if you're gonna make a go of this, I don't see any other rappers that are coming to stand on your right. stage. I'm gonna have to do this myself. Or was it, wait a minute, is it not like a do or die? It's like, no, I wanna become the guy who's standing on stage on front. I think it was necessity bred creativity. I, it, I, I needed somebody to do vocals the way I wanted them done and I wasn't gonna find it because rappers are notoriously independent. They just, nope, yeah. nope, nope, I'm saying what I wanna say, dude. And I just said, okay, I'll do it. And I really didn't take 
the rap side of it serious initially. What I took serious was the production. And so as I got older, you listen to my last two or three albums, you can hear, whoa, he's getting more serious lyrically. But then it was just about put these syllables right here and I'm gonna wrap the music around them. Got it. So it really was necessity. It, it, I was almost forced to do it. But that's, and, I think, uh, again, those folks that are going from zero to one or even the folks, let's just go the other end of the spectrum, uh, those of us little later, later in life, later in career, yeah. later in life, I'm talking about myself like I'm a Okay. Hey, I can oh, relate. Man, why bro. with the cane? What's up? Now, uh, just the necessity and, and constraints actually driving creativity, yes. resourcefulness. You didn't have any money, so you rewired, found shit yep. in order to pursue your dream. And that creates a problem later on. When you, when you have success, the worst thing that happened to me was. Um, after Posse and Broadway and all that stuff, I went and spent like 120 grand on my studio and my song started to suck. I had so many options that gone was the, I need this sound and I dug and dug and dug and dug and dug and I understood every aspect of that gear trying to get that one sound. Now I had 10 different boards that would do the same thing. Uh, this one doesn't sound good, let's go to this one. This one. And you end up... And that paralyzes you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it takes you two times longer to make one sound. Um, and that, it took me a long time to get out of that. That, that was hard, that looked, took years actually. I didn't, I didn't plan on this, but we're going very linearly and I like this, so you, you're working with Nash and Ness, you make a, an intro for his show on K-Fox yeah, Radio. Like Elvis Seattle. Presley, Ness Presley. Ness Pr Presley was his last name? No. We just, we just made oh. this up. I always used to tease him. I say, dude, you look like the Filipino Elvis. I used to always tell him that. So I did this, this, this Elvis Presley kind of intro. And, and, and where I learned a lot from Ness was that how he could flip the switch. Because he'd be talking, he'd be like real mellow. Hey man, you know, that really sounded good. 1250 K Fox. And I was like, whoa, I need to learn how to do that. You know, and being around, seeing that kind of let me know you can flip a switch and not necessarily be the introvert for a few minutes, treat it like a job and then. Does it, so let's go back to your necessity, like you couldn't find someone to rap. Mm -hmm. uh, does, does this part of you say, well, all right, like if I'm gonna make my music and I need it to sound like this, cause now you're, this is when you've made enough stuff, you start to actually, people ask, I think this is a huge question, like how did you develop your sound? And I don't, like again, for me, it's vision with pictures right. or directing. Right. Right. And I don't have a good answer other than like, you do enough shit and you start to realize, you'll just gravitate to stuff and there's a certain way that when something comes yeah. up, you handle it. But yeah. it's really a repetition. How is it for you? Well, you have a, see, you How probably- you develop yours? Probably a lot like you, probably a lot like you. I didn't just like one genre of music. So I would play Gary Newman in that era. Gary Newman, I'd play Devo. I'd play Parliament Funkadelic. I'd play heavy rock you know, all kind of weird shit. And all of that was in me. And what happened is, as I'm creating, keep in mind, rap was new, so there was no really established sound. So I just started pumping this stuff out, and some of it sucked, but slowly but surely, I started to come up with, it, the sound was just there. I didn't know how not to do it, right? I didn't really understand what it was. But that's, that's something also that's beautiful, that when you're not a part of the system or right. the canon, you, it's really the, the lack of rules that help yep. you sort of decide, well, I'm just gonna pretend 
right? Yeah. You really are, you're sort of like... Just, uh, you're just going with it, and you, have, you think you know what you're doing, but you kind of don't. And the hardest part is, after you have a little success, is trying to go, how do I do that again? <laughs> because you don't really know, it just happened. And you think you know, but you kind of don't. So it, it's... You end up deconstructing It was so yourself. organic, yeah. It was so organic, now I gotta be cerebral. Now I gotta go back and, like you said, deconstruct and see where it all came from and try to do it again. It's, that was, that was weird. We're going to keep on this path. I'm loving this path. I, I mean, we've been friends for years, and I didn't yeah. know a lot of this shit. Yeah, man. I'm a, I'm a... Okay, so you find, you're finding your sound. You get out in front of people. Yeah. Who's mixing now? Because if you're out in front, are you doing both? Like, yeah, I had. I, at first, I was doing both. First, it was me and, and a couple of Are you just standing behind the ones and twos and rapping? I would rapping, go back and or? start. No, well, we got to drum machines. So I would just start the drum machines and, and run back and stop them. But that looked pretty silly. I saw a video of us performing. I'm like, oh, dude. You know, <laughs> yeah, we need some cars. Yeah, we were only making, you know, three, four hundred bucks a show, maybe five hundred bucks. My first show making a thousand dollars. I said, this must be how Sammy Davis did it. You know, I, I didn't know. I thought I was rich. Thousand dollars a night. We do. I was, here's my dumb ass. A thousand dollars a night if we do 31 shows a month. That's $31,000. I didn't know people didn't go to shows Monday through Thursday, right? <laughs> so, All right, and that, I, yeah, I realized something. Like a brother would be tired doing yeah. 31 shows a yeah, night. Yeah, you don't think about that when you're right. a kid. So, I, you know, I, um, I get on stage and I'm, I'm turning on and turning off everything on my own, using fog machines and lights to try to mask the fact that I had nobody. And then we got more and more people on the stage and I got about three or four people and we got really comfortable and people... Took a while to do shows. We had a, when we got on the road though, talk about an awakening. Cause you know, when you are, are kind of the guy that creates stuff and you, you know, like you, you probably did pictures and, and then you went somewhere where there are other guys that do what you do like, oh shit, yeah. I gotta go back home. These motherfuckers are kicking my ass out of here. <laughs> That's what happened. I got on the road and we performed with more polished acts. And I was like, oh my goodness, I gotta go home. I, I knew it was, wasn't right. I love this narrative, this is amazing. So you, you walk out, you, you get basically slapped out in the big world. Yes. Like, holy shit. Yeah. And we're not talking, you probably didn't need to go all the way to New York or Chicago or LA. Oakland, you like, California. You go halfway to LA, you stop in Oakland, yeah, I mean, and right about then Easy e is coming up. Yeah, Easy e yeah, Easy e was around, yep. Easy but he was also a guy who was- But he was in Compton, but- But he was, I mean, he was a guy who, uh, so, Correct me if I'm wrong. Again, I, I uh, my hip hop <laughs> mind is a little bit slow, but he also didn't really want to rap. Right? No, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. He actually that was kinda, that was that was also in. Um, it was in. Uh, in it was the, straight out of Compton. Yeah, yeah. In straight out of Compton. Yeah, he. I think he he really just wanted to be the guy behind the scenes, and he ended up being a star. And that has a lot to do with Ice Cube. Ice Cube was a guy that kind of pushed know, him out there. Pushed him. I you know and Dre. Yeah. And all those guys, but it's funny because I knew all those guys because I remember Dre when he was in the Wrecking Crew and I was doing my thing. We were all kind of coming up at the same time, but when I got to see those guys perform, yeah, you were Egyptian like, oh, Lover, shit. I was like, Egyptian I mean, lover. they were mm. so polished. Yeah. I'm talking about Dre had DMX's two turntables, and I'm like, ooh, shit. I got shit I wired up my mom's And basement. I knew then, and this is when I, I only had Square Dance rap out, that was it. And uh, these guys were doing stuff, and it was just blowing the crowds away, and I was like, I went home and I started learning how to write songs. I said, okay, doing a song that I just like sitting in my bedroom, because they could say things about the town in a song and drive the crowd nuts, right? I'm like, I hear Dre and they're performing. We're at World on Wheels one time and I forget who opened for him. He said something about Compton. Oh, I'm like, 
That's interesting. So I went to Arizona and I saw, um, I think it was Eric B and Rakim and they, I'm like, okay. So I, I noticed that when I was in Phoenix, Arizona, I found a Dick's, 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 Dick's Burgers. Yeah, Dick's Spady just, yeah, my parents met at Dick's, I tell you. Yeah, Damn. that's awesome, man. So <laughs> I noticed that Dick's was on Broadway. I said, like, we got a Dick's in Seattle on Broadway. Then I went to Broadway in San Francisco and everywhere had a Broadway. So, oh, so, so keep in mind, I'm young. I'm like, okay, those guys say the city. What if you said a whole bunch of them? So I did Posse on Broadway, and that was my first hit because every fucking city has a Broadway. So everybody thought I was talking about their Broadway. So I mentioned streets that were very Union. Spruce. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, Martin Luther King. You know there's one in every city. <laughs> so you throw these things out, and it worked. And I had my first hit, and, but I still, then I said, okay, I'm on par with these guys. But little did I know, they had grown. They had, and, and so I went on tour with Public Enemy. No shit. Public Enemy, NWA, Big Daddy Kane was on some dates, Luke Skywalker, and got humbled <laughs> again. Public Enemy. This is the classic oh. hero's journey, though, Mix. Like, yeah. you, you go home, you make some shit, you cook some shit up, and then you go out there in the world, and you rock it with the people who know you, yeah. and then you go out to the bigger pond, and shit, you're a small fish. You're a small fish, man. But does, does it ever stop? Did it ever stop? Did you ever leave the house and say, no, I'm here. No, I think um, when you do that, you're done. Exactly. I think when you do it, you have to always, I just look for something else to chase. You know, I'm not, I'm not, for, I'm not by any means saying I'm on par with Public Enemy and NWA, but, but I mix a lot now. So I can do my thing. I can, I can fill up an arena, I can fill up a, a club, I can get down with them and they get up and they know my song. But then you look at something else and you go, but I ain't quite that. And as long as you're doing that, you'll keep striving. Yeah. You know, I think that's beautiful. And never, I, I never believe be satisfied. There's, uh, that's the thing that I feel like when I talk to people, my, my friends like yourself that have done f fucking amazing things. I really don't know anybody who's satisfied. Nope. And you know, that can be both a blessing and a curse because that sort of lack of satisfaction can eat at you um, and make, you know, grind away at your self-worth. But there's this happy, the people I think who manage it the best they are, there's a sort of a sense of calmness and happiness, but like, if you can look out on the horizon, there are people doing cool shit or yep. shit that you aspire to. I think the only time it eats at you though, is when you don't try. But if you're, it's the journey that you really need, because once you make it, now you're looking for somewhere else, right? As so soon as you the, make it. Yeah, as soon as you make it, you're like, I, example, they brought out this new, and this is gonna bore the hell out of everybody, but they brought out this new <laughs> transistor type called an LD Moss. Okay. It's indestructible. And everybody's been building them. I said, fuck, I gotta build one. I gotta build one. I gotta build one. I gotta build one. And I started buying parts. The first one, pop, blew it up. Well, it ain't so indestructible. I just blew one up, right? I learned and learned and learned. I, and, and yesterday I got it done. Nice. Guess what now? Now I gotta wanna build one with four of them in there. <laughs> of course. Because you gotta chase something. So I think it's the journey that is actually the satisfying part of it. Achieving it feels good for a minute. And then you need another journey. It's really, it's yeah. fascinating to me, having had just a little bit of success in my career, that how short-lived the party is. Yeah, yep. It's so short-lived. People it's will like, remind you. Yeah. You're the one that did that. that. Fill in the blank. Yeah, <laughs> you're the one that did. And that's cool though. I used to. Oh, for sure. Used I used to, I, I learned something watching, I don't want to say the artist's name, but I watched one artist in particular 
who hated the fact that people knew him for one song. And he, he would get mad at the fans and be like, well, I'm bigger than blank, whatever the song is. I'm bigger than water in a cup. I did better songs than that. And what happens is you almost snatch the credibility right out from under your own career. So I, I watched people fail doing that and I said, never gonna do that. Be I'm happy. never gonna do snippets of my, of Baby Got Back or Posse on Broadway or my Hoopty. I'm gonna do the whole fucking track when I perform and people are gonna like this shit. And I'm gonna get out in the crowd with them. I get right out in the crowd with them because I love my fans, I really do. And some people resent their fans. I'm like, do you understand yeah, what it's nice. like sitting, do you remember sitting in the bedroom when nobody gave a shit? Yeah. That's, I always remind myself of that, man. Wait, there's uh, a classic example of a guy named Stuart Butterfield. I co-founded Flickr uh, and I just bumped into him at a dinner and he was, I was asking him some questions about he has this very, very high performing startup called Slack. It's basically mm -hmm. chat for teams and uh, they were within weeks of insolvency and their video game wasn't working out and they said, well, what do we got? We got this thing that we built so that our team, engineering team can communicate. Well, let's try and make something of that. And that, poof, now yep. multi-billion dollar company. Yep. And if you ask Stuart how he feels today relative to how he felt when he was within weeks of insolvency, the basic answer is the same. Yeah. <laughs> and I, now it's just scared shitless of not being able to kill it when you are one of the fastest growing startups in the world up there with the Ubers yeah. and the Airbnbs. And, then, and not getting too, too out of touch. That's, yeah. when you succeed, I recommend this to everybody. You, you reach a certain point and you look down and you see the old you, get down there. Get your hands dirty. Because if your hands ain't dirty, you ain't in that grind, you ain't in the mud with everybody. Because you know, Business is really simple, but some people create a problem and then go look for a, a solution. That's not the way it's supposed to go. You find the problem and you create the solution. And the only way you can, and you know, a good friend of mine named Tom Nault, what's up Tom, said this to me and I never will forget it. I hope I don't get it wrong. He said, if you feed the masters, which is the wealthy, if you feed the masters, you'll eat with the masses. But if you feed the masses, you eat with the masters. So in other words, you have to find a solution that fixes everybody's problem. That's, that's business. But that's also my posse's on Broadway because yeah. everybody's got a Broadway. Everybody yeah. has or wants a posse. Yep. So let's go back to that song. So you released this song, yeah, Expectations. 19, what is it? 1987. 1987. Um, I won't even tell you where I was. I can remember the first time I heard it, but yeah. this is about me, this is about you. So 1987, yep. uh, it first gets played on the radio here in Seattle, or how did it happen? Um, no, it didn't actually. Um, we, we released Posse and Broadway, I had low expectations. Square Dance Rap, I thought it was a hit. I actually sold 50,000 units, right? I sold 50,000 units. I had a, a really nice 10-year-old caddy, and I was renting a house with a couch and a few pots and pans, and that was it. I thought I was rich. I'm like, shh. I got this. Let's throw this posse out and sell another 50,000. That was my logic. 50,000, that became the, you know, the goal. And um, we put the song out. It didn't get any radio play here. And all of a sudden, we get a call. I remember from MTV. They said, well, Fab Five Freddy's going to come out and interview you. I'm like, for what? But remember, there was no internet then. There was no internet. And long distance was like a dollar a minute. You know, you wouldn't be calling motherfuckers <laughs> talking about, how's my song doing in Barbados, right? <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, I start, 
you know, finding out that the song was doing well. We did a video and we didn't know the song was doing well in the Bay Area. It took off immediately. All the places that I saw with Broadway's Bay Area. Um, I did really well in Houston, Texas. I don't know, they must have a Broadway or something. Dallas jumped on it, but Phoenix, all those places that I went to, San Francisco, they jumped on it first, right? So um, then the video, I never will forget it. I'm driving down the street somewhere and uh, stopping by a friend of mine's house and I remember his sister ran out. You gotta come in the house right now. I was like, why? You gotta see this, gotta see this. And I go in and Posse on Broadway's on MTV. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I looked at my guys and I'm like, still not understanding that that could mean cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah. I just thought people are going to like the record now. That was it. It was just really small steps. But isn't that beautiful? Isn't there you know? something that's beautiful and humble and simple it is. about that? It, it is. And that is something that as you get older, you can get, be a little reflective and understand that that's part of the reason you kept the hunger. Uh, and as we go through this journey with you, when I get to the part about where I felt like I'd made it, that was hard. That's the hardest part, but. You know what? But We're yeah. gonna skip right to it now. Yeah. So, what is, what is the, and again, the reason I think we're taking this journey is because you have insane insights that, you know, that's my, my goal here is to unlock this stuff in you so that other yeah. people can learn from it. And they can learn from it from the people who are listening who are sort of thinking they made it on the cusp, but it's really for those of us, uh, people paying attention who they start to sniff it and mm -hmm. you're trying to help them from ever getting to that shitty spot because yeah. that's what we're all trying to help one another through this thing we're all in this yeah. together right so you you go from hearing let's just catapult here you go from hearing your song on the radio for the first time come in here or see it or see it on mtv yep and then how much time between that moment and you registering in your brain that Holy shit, this is the dream. Well, it's kind of interesting because, uh, like I said, when Posse and Broadway hits, keep in mind, still no internet. So you still felt, it felt local. It felt like, okay, we just saw that in Seattle, but nobody else saw it. I didn't know anything about national networks. I didn't know. And then we get the call about Fab Five Freddy coming to Seattle. I said, MTV coming to Seattle? What the hell? I mean, I didn't know how to host a guy. We, I'd still, we, we took him to Dick's to eat hamburgers. Of course you did, though. That's what you do. That, yeah. And that was, ended up being so authentic. That yeah. Perfect. It, yeah, exactly. Oh, I mean, I knew that the whole time. Right? <laughs> but, like, I can afford this. It's close. Yeah. And it's still, but still no money. Still not a lot of money. Um, it did really, really well. We started touring, made a little bit of money, but still pretty modest. Um, and then... Um, we did another album, Seminar, which had Hoopty and Beepers, and those did really well. That, was, that went gold, almost platinum. Then we get a call from Rick Rubin. And anybody in hip-hop knew who Rick Rubin was. They still do. And I'm like, Rick Rubin's calling me? You know, and this is when I started to think. I had mm -hmm. never, keep in mind, I'd never been groomed by anybody. Yeah, you didn't, no mentors, really? Right. Everything was, yeah, no mentors in music. I had a couple of people that showed me some things, but nobody ever sat me down and said, okay, we're going to, Hey, I'm going to show you how to get the, here. Here's how the music industry works. So Rick, uh, you know, I end up signing with Rick. And Rick doesn't say much. But he's when he quiet. talks, shut the fuck up because he's going to give you information. And the first thing he did was ask me who I was. But he didn't mean here. He meant, what's your image? Who are you? How do I know who you are? And I'm like, because I'm mix a lot. He said, yeah, but 
What and he showed mean? me pictures of Flavor Flav. He showed me pictures of Run DMC. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm going, wow, they do have a, there's something thing. about them. So Rick calls me. It's funny because he probably didn't even remember this shit because it's so small to him because he does it all the time. Right? Yeah, he's doing it with every act. But I'm telling you, he's not going to forget this. So. Yeah. Rick calls <laughs> me on the phone while I'm working on the record. He said, I was looking at one of your videos. I said, yeah. He said, it's the one called My Hoopty. I said, okay. What about it? He said, the coat, the hat. He said, I like that. I'm like, dude, I, it was a joke. One of my buddies had one of, the, I, we called them old man hats, a derby, you know, the mafia yeah. shit. And I said, dude, I'm wearing that in the video. Give it to me. And I wore it. And I wore that and I wore the coat and Rick said, that's it. That's you. I'm like, man, get the fuck out of here. And he's, you know, he told me things real subtle and you didn't, you tried not to hear it, but you, knew you can't he, not if he hear speaks, he's too. saying something. And he said, he said, 25 years from now, they'll know you for that. I'm like, the fuck out of here. And he was right. I mean, uh, so we'd start riding with Rick and we start making real money. And um, we went on a tour that wasn't making us any money. We we're losing money like crazy. I'm like, I don't know what a promotional tour was. The fuck's a promotional tour? He's going on a promotional tour. I had a major label. I had a publicist. I didn't even know. I couldn't even say publicist. I was like, <laughs> so we're on the road, and she's, and she's telling us what to do, telling us who to see. You want to go by and shake this guy's hand. Go by this building, walk in. I'm like, why am I shaking all these weird old fuckers' hands, you know? <laughs> I didn't know. I'm visiting these people, and I'm shaking hands, and I'm meeting people, and I'm meeting people, and I'm meeting people. And I have this on videotape. Um... Beta? No, this is on, <laughs> well, it's been dubbed to, to VHS. It was on one of those, not high eight, but whatever those, those little, mini, the first small, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, not the mini one, but the one bigger than that. Anyway, so I videoed, I'm walking in to this club. Keep in mind, I'm on the road, there's no internet, I don't know what's going on, I know we're promoting a song, and I ain't making no money. And we walk into this club in Texas. Um, Oh God, White Sand, uh, the beach near town? Pensacola. Anyway, near Pensacola. I, I don't know why I'm forgetting this. I should always remember this. But we walk in and the club owner is talking to me and I'm holding the camera and it, the fucking club is packed. It was my first sellout. I'm like, God, damn, there are people on the balcony of hotels. I'm like, wow. what's going on? Who are they here to see? That's not, I mean, you hear me on the camera like, who are these motherfuckers here for, right? And he said, Ladies and gentlemen, they're here to see the man with the camera. Today went number one, Sir Mix-a-Lot. And everybody's clapping. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. My whole group is like, what? What are you, because we're in this tour bus. We don't know. No way. And the song had gone number one. and We had no idea. And that was the day I realized, oh, shit. When I walked out on the stage and it was like, you don't, you don't just hear the noise when you feel the wind. That's the first time that ever happened. It's like, oh my God, damn. And we're all looking at each other like, the fuck's going on here, man? I mean, we were doing okay shows, uh -huh. but we had two weeks off and the record went number one, knocked off like Mariah Carey or something. And um, that, was, that was the peak, that was the pinnacle. And all of a sudden, then I got used to it almost. You that's, know? Yeah, that's gotta be nuts. You got used to the, the noise and the craziness and that's when the introvert side came back. Because first I was all out in the malls yeah. trying to, hey, girl, what's your name, right? And you realize you can't do that anymore. Out so. in the malls. You just said, get out of the malls. Get I love the it. Malls. That's what I was doing. And I, I start being an introvert again. And then we get a, uh, then it got even bigger. We get a call. We're going home from tour. 
get a call from Heidi at, at American again, and she goes, need you to come back to LA. I'm like, we're in Montana, almost homes. So gotta come back to LA. Say, why? You gotta do Arsenio. I'm like, oh shit. Told the bus, head to LA, right? So we go to LA and we do Arsenio. That blew us up even bigger. Keep in mind, I hadn't gotten the check yet. You haven't gotten a check. I was, you know, because the check, you know, they're once every six months, yeah, right? So I hadn't reached that point. Right. So you literally haven't gotten a check. I haven't got a big one. So I had the, the, had the advance, but that was pretty much almost gone. Sure, because you spent that to make the record. Exactly. In the early phase of the tour, you're using that money to travel The, the tour bus and all that you, stuff. You're taking the door from the, t- from the shows. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting a little bit of the show. and I'm getting, Well, I was getting paid low. Rick wanted me to get paid low because he wanted the places full. Yeah. So we hit, um, oh, God, McAllen, Texas. And this is when I was like, holy shit. We hit McAllen, Texas, and there's a helicopter. I thought somebody got shot. There's a helicopter above the venue. It's a club, and Rick always had this thing. He'd rather me play a club and leave 100 people standing outside than me and play a stadium with 100 people short. You know, he just wanted yep. that angst, that energy. The energy and the, the cops, I mean, this, 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 this was some news helicopter, and we were on the news because there were so many people out there, we had to add a second show. They were lined up and they were pissed off and threatening the riot. And I'm like, whoa. And, and Heidi's just loving it. I'm, I'm scared. She's like, this is what we want. You know, and it kept going and going and going and going and going. And then I got home and I got the check. And that's what kind of fucks you up because now the, that's the goal, I thought. Yep. I thought I'm done. That's it. I did it. You know, and you sit there and you get bored like for about almost a year. Wow. Because the residuals keep coming in and you're like, ah, you sit back. You've got a studio getting dust on it now because you think you're done, you know? And you really do for a long time. You think it's over. And then you hear another artist go, mix a lot. That fucking has been. And you, fuck that. And you get it back. (laughs) You have to have something to chase, you know? And sometimes it's your ego, which is the wrong wrong chase to go on. And that's what happened is I I was pissed. And I wanted to respond to that. And my record ended up suffering because it wasn't about my fans. I was talking shit to my critics. And here's the kind of, oddly enough, you're at your pinnacle, but hit rock bottom simultaneously. We there were, is we, a lag time, I think, that, that yeah. the, for the world finds out. But. We were doing a show in a place called South Padre Island. Oh yeah, that's some big party scene. Spring break. Texas. Yep. And a couple of my guys had a bunch of people in the room getting them lit on some Seattle weed. And they were all fucked up. I mean, I walk in this, we got a big suite, you know, with the whirlpool, all this shit. It looked like a movie. I walk in and I'm paying my guys. It's like five in the morning, the sun's coming up. I'm counting out hundreds, here's yours, here's yours. And this one dude just sitting there and he was like half out of it, still smoking weed. He said, you know what, Mix? You had me, dude. I said, I had you. He said, you had me, man, Patsy on Broadway. Baby got back, swap me, Louie. That was shit I could relate to. I'm like, okay. He said, but you got some song out now talking about a Lamborghini Diablo. What the fuck is that? I drive a hoopty like you used to drive, man. I was you. Wow, that hurt. Cause that's when I realized, oh fuck. You realize, man, I went too far. I went over there. Well, all of us do. Every artist that comes out, you'll notice, that first shit was his best shit. You always hear that, right? <laughs> that first shit was his best shit. And my first shit was actually posse, but to a lot of people, Baby Got Back was the first. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that, that, that right there knocked me back. I was, it, it, it messed me up for a long time. That's incredible that just one, how much it took to get there, yep. how much like vision, strength, yep. effort, just relentless stamina, yep. and then some dude one comment. give you one comment. And I wasn't mad, he thought I was mad. He said, man, don't get mad. I said, no, I was just, I was, cause he, I looked at him and I and just got quiet. Like, you're right, aren't you? And I got quiet and I walked out of the room and I'm like, shit. You start thinking, man. You then you walk. You start looking at yourself differently. Sure. You know, I walk back in my hotel room. There's some naked chick there. I had no idea what her first name was. You know, in that era, you could do that now. You end up on TMZ. Yeah. But you look at it. You're like, who the fuck is this? And why am I doing this stuff? Because it wasn't me. And I need to get. I wanted to get back in my studio. But when I got there, I had no. There was There's a yeah, hole in your heart, man. Yeah, yeah. The, the nothing was coming out of me for a long time. Well, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis both been on this show before. They performed, uh, and I Mac love those guys. Yeah, just so straight up, man. Yep. And uh, uh, Mac had performed at a dinner party that I had with like twenty people, and he was reading the song that became Wings, but he called it Air Jordan at the time, reading it off a piece of paper. Yep. And uh, I think he was living in his parents' basement at the time. He just come, out, he just got out of rehab, and. Uh, Friend of mine, Sabzi from the Blue Scholars. Mm -hmm. Sabba was like, Yeah, I want you to you have get my friend Macklemore. It'd be awesome. They went from there, you know, stopped by the show at some point, heist 15X Platinum or something like yep. that. And I just think the story of then till now, and they're, they, they literally just left on tour uh, a few days yeah. ago, yep. is an incredible story that is not that dissimilar to what you talked about. But yep. like, I feel like just that moment of realization. I think the one thing that, it's kind of weird to say this, but the one advantage Mac had was the drug problem. In that he hit the, a real bottom. I thought I was at the bottom just because I was poor. A whole lot of people are poor. But for him to hit that and then get up, yeah. I noticed at his peak, he's far more humble than I was. It took me a minute to get humble. I had to be humbled. Yeah. He was pretty humble because he appreciated the opportunity a little more than I think I did. Even though I did, it wasn't like I was running around looking at my fans, get the fuck away, I don't sign autographs. It wasn't that. Yeah. But it was something in my music that was void after a while. The, the funny stories that were actually kind of true, but a little dark, but yeah. still fun, they were gone. And I was like, but he doesn't forget that. Let's go back, let's just talk about this generally, because I think it, whether you're coming up and trying to find your own, your own sound, or whether you're having some success, and again, this is for entrepreneurs, for artists. The how do you stay humble? How do you how do you listen to your authentic self? You have to start telling yourself the truth. In other, what I mean by that is, you know, my mom, my grandmothers have this saying. My mom adopted the saying that don't matter how much money you got, baby, we all buried in the same dirt. Can't take it with you, and you, you, you and you have to realize how lucky you are. There's a gratitude. I think when you. people start believing that they created it alone, yeah, that's dangerous, that's dangerous. There's nothing, you don't do anything and sell it to the masses alone. You may be- Or even one, this, I mean, a small group of people like, that maybe like you're selling like things you drew on the sidewalk, yeah. you can sell that. But as right. soon as you get anything that can afford yep. sort of a 
make some sort of a payment on a house or an apartment or insurance or anything. Yeah. I had a girl that I was dating and she bought me my first drum machine. You know, so when we broke up, most people are really mad. I wasn't mad. I made sure she had, you know, here's this, got a nice car, nice this, put furniture, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, it wasn't like buying a person a drum machine doesn't give you publishing rights, but at the same time, it felt right with my soul. It was, she could have said, fuck, I got him for money, even though she didn't do that. She yeah. could have, but that wouldn't have made a difference to me. It felt right by me to do it. And I didn't necessarily lose that. It just was no longer there. You know, I had gotten to a point where a lot of the people would tell me whatever I wanted to hear. And those real people weren't, and that's when I, I, I switched it up. So I gotta get back to my people, you know. All right, well, this is, I mean, this is such a classic hero's journey. So yeah. you're at the top, you realized how fucked up it is. Yeah. And then to use your own words, you gotta get back to your people. Yep. What does that look like? It looks like, I tell you, it's kind of messed up. You come home and you go to mom's house and she looks a little different. That's how that's fucked up. You've been gone so long that you come home and you realize your mom's two years older. You missed two years of her life, right? That shit's hard to deal with. You come home, but she took me back in and the first thing, I remember the first thing she said, all right, honey, now enough of this star shit, take that goddamn garbage out. That felt good. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's, you know, that's, that's what it. I need. Spank Even me. though, because, you know, I got mom a nice house and I got her a nice car, but it never went to her head. Never went to her head. I remember she let me read her journal one time and her, she was so nervous taking that house. Is my boy going to be able to afford this thing? She'd write that over and over again. I hope I'm not making the wrong move. And she did not want to lead the projects. And that stuff kind of reminded me of who I was. And that's when I got, I said, okay, I need to start another journey now. And I did. But it wasn't music. Well, it is, but. You've also been producing. So let's yeah, talk about a handful I of other. Let's talk about interests outside of Posse on Broadway, Baby Got Back, the things that the world s literally sings every day in every country around yep. the world. They're singing those songs. Yep. So what is, what is uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, what is Anthony Ray outside of those things? I, you know, I'm, I'm all over the place now. I love... The, we're I, all hyphens, though. That's one of the things yeah. I want to get. Like, we're all, we all do so many things now. I used to, you know, it's not about the gold watch in 40 years, and it's like, you know, literally that's why Creative Live exists, is because the educational system and the world does not provide great learning for something that is going to match how our careers are. We need to do I gotta so I've got to tell you this real things. quick. Please do. Real quick, real quick. I have a friend of mine who is, was video curious, right? And I did your show, uh -huh. and he's been following you ever since. Now he's fucking got a baby company. I just, I gotta tell you that. He's got, no, a, he's got a few it. cameras, he's editing, he learned how to, he taught himself how to, you know, he does, he uses, um, what, I, I don't know, not Final Cut, I forget what it's called, uh, shit. Premiere? Premiere, Adobe yeah. Premiere. He uses Adobe Premiere, he's gotten really good at it. He's kind of making a couple of dollars at it. He's creating some, I told him, quit smoking weed in your content, but, <laughs> You know, he's creating cool stuff, and it's it kind of weird. He's like, Chase Jar, every time that guy does something, I'll check it out. I love you that. You know, so, yeah, I, I, know I, I know I digress there a little bit, but no, I had to no, tell man, you. No, no, man, thank you. That, that stuff it. works, so this stuff works, It man. does, it's potent. But let's, let's, not only does it work, but that's, like, how it works is the people who are paying yep. attention right now. Yep. They have to realize that you put your pants on the same way they do. Yep. 
and you have highs and lows, and that you're also, you know, I talk about us all being hyphens. We're all, you know, slash producer, slash artist, slash entrepreneur, slash radio ham hacker yeah, guy. You gotta be something, man. You, you gotta chase, you gotta want something. You gotta thirst for something. Some meaning. Or you just, your soul just dies. So what are you outside of beyond Baby Got Back and beyond Sir Mixlock? What, what is Anthony Ray? I'm still a gadget freak at heart. I mean, that's what got, that's what created Mixlock was gadgets. It wasn't the other way around. Um, so I started producing other acts just for the fun of it. Not charging money, I just wanted to have fun. Like Aaron Jones in the way, a great group around here in town. Um, this young kid is like the new Jimi Hendrix. That's a lot of pressure. Of course, you know, black need, guy plays guitar. Of course, they're gonna mark, say Jimmy, yeah. right? So, but that album was challenging because he was a bit of a studio bully, and he's a kid. He's like, no nah, man, no, nah, I need a guitar to sound like this. I'm like, dude, that's not right. You need to, no nah, man, I need it to sound like this. So I. Had, I just said, okay, listen to him. Create his record his way. You know, and a lot of people like the record, you know, and I've been producing Tamika Williams. I, we're doing another soul record, same thing, a challenge. It's easy for me to turn on a drum machine and do an R&B song, that's boring. You know, not that R&B is boring, but that, that yeah, process for me, I've done it already. Because you mastered it, you're a master. Now she wants a vintage soul record. When I say vintage, I don't mean Faux vintage. You mean? I don't. Yeah, I don't mean. Yeah, I don't mean try to sing an Otis Redding song with a drum machine on. I mean, drums, horns, and she wants it to sound a little antiquated. She doesn't want it too clean, which means you're going to play a lot of tricks with compression and EQs, and you have to roll things off where you usually wouldn't to capture. So what I what I ended up having to do was take old songs, put them on a track, and then look at how they were panned out, how things were done, and then more importantly, compare them to new songs, and you start realizing, whoa, the snare in a new song is like, you hear that crispy, and the snare in that old song is like, it's really, I could not believe that James Brown's snares aren't crisp. You know, I'm so used to hearing, right? And his his stuff has has this little, he has all his drums, stuff starts on the one, but, in disco or hip hop, you have the one, the five, the 13. So it's like, not James. James is. Nothing's on and it's kind of off. And I start studying that shit. And I said, Tamika, we got to do this. And, and then I got excited, right? So now we, I got one song done. It took me three months to fucking do it <laughs> because I had to capture everything, right? So. And people like it. I'm a little intimidated by it because I'm thinking it's a little off. So what I do is I play it around my mom. She's 87. If she does this, I think I'm getting there. She's starting to (laughs) kind of like this, you know. But what you just lit up right there because you're talking about something that's hard. It's a new challenge. It's something that's different. So you're a gadget freak. You're still producing. You're producing things that are outside of your comfort zone. Way out, I got a tech company too. That's way outside of my comfort zone. Comfort so, zone. like, well, that's should we talk about that? Oh yeah. So tell yeah, me about man. your tech company. What, um, what I, are you teching up? I, I I I started this company a while back, like 2010. It's called True Human Interface, and once again, not about making money. I'm not trying to create the next light switch. Sure. Right. It's already done. I'm not I'm not looking that way because when you look that way, you always fail. Um, but what it is, it's about human interface devices for everything we do digital. Editing, 
editing music, editing videos, creating music, creating videos, editing photos, everything to make that process faster. Some people think they don't need it faster. You know, they just take a mouse and look and then drop down menu, drop down menu, drop down, bring up a plugin. That's actually slow. Yeah. Um, so I have a friend of mine in LA um, who was, who was uh, working on some music and we were doing an ad for Butterfinger <laughs> and nice. they wanted more reverb on the announcer's voice and I watched him literally take his glasses. Uh, let's see, plugins, uh, effects, reverb. And I'm like, oh my God. So I went home, took my CNC machine and I replicated the reverb he had on the screen. I replicated it to a T. I put a, put a VU meter in, it didn't work, but it looked good. And literally put the, instead of putting potentiometers on it or, or rotary encoders, I used real potentiometers, real stuff that had you know, if it was if it was a rotary and clack, 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 I put that in there, right? And so it felt real to him. And then after, well, I, he wouldn't give it back. I gave it to him in 2012. He still has it. You know, so it's, it's all about adding tactility um, to everything digital. And the, the first product would probably be it's for live performance. And it's, and it's a thing that connects the crowd with the with the artist. And I don't mean virtually. I mean, literally, they will literally be able to control the show and vice versa. Whoa. So, so that's a thing. That's, yeah, that's my new thing. That's, I'm, a, I'm pretty intimidated. It's an intimidating world, man. I'm yeah, pretty intimidated. I, but I understand it a lot more than I thought. Um, you know we can always talk about that stuff. Yeah. Not that I know it, but yeah. I know just enough to be dangerous. Uh, oh, think, man, dude, you know, this build, build stuff you're doing around here just, I mean, when I came in, what do you, I got a bunch of video shit because of you. You fucking cost me another 22 grand, man. <laughs> Man, Every I time we get together, you go out and spend money yeah, on I buy these shit. cameras, and I bought, like I said, I told you, the, the, the Blackmagic multi-doc mm-hmm. so I can edit stuff, and, and uh, I just want to start capturing some of this stuff. I didn't realize the importance of it until I saw what you do, and I realized this is not vanity. That's not what this is. This is actually giving back on a, not just on a, not on a micro level. This is no. a mass level. Macro. And people care about what you say. And it's a, there's a whole new, there's a meta aspect of creativity. Like yep. what kind of stuff are you creating about the process of creating? And it, Very and, much. And yeah. real creators aren't copycats. So they'll be able to look at you and look at how you do stuff and go, what if I did this with that? Exactly. Take, those are the kind of guys I like, man. For sure. And those are the people yeah. that I think go on to have great careers. What is the uh, line? If you steal from one person, you're stealing. If you steal from everybody, it's research. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. You, yeah, you get to take a thing. Yeah. Like, this is the thing I'm taking from Chase. This is the thing I'm taking from Mix. Everything comes from somebody, though. Yeah. It's always... And it goes back to the point you were making earlier about remixing. So let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, you have songs that have been played hundreds and hundreds of millions of times uh-huh. and you were part of an era in music where the rights or you get to keep those rights you didn't get those rights away the contracts were written in such a way you yep. sure other people took a lot of cut but you're getting paid every day still yeah what is that like is it do you do you feel like lucky that you had the contract that you had or do you miss the current world where artists are making money in different and myriad ways. Well, it's kind of mixed for me. Um, Cause I, one thing I'm never gonna be, I'm never gonna be the old fart. I'm never gonna be the get off my lawn guy. That's not my style. Um, but I do have some issues with the way things are done today a little bit. Um, because you have a generation of fans who have grown up never paying for music. Mm-hmm. 
and you have a generation of artists who have never been paid for their work. So they've been, every, everybody's been subconsciously taught music has no value, but music is the, that, what is it, that's the most consumed art. I'm getting in the elevator, I'm listening to music, right? And it, it, it kind of bothers me a little bit in that what I see, you know, young kids have come out now, you gotta give your record away. Your record is a bit of big advertisement now. By record, I mean your tracks. Yeah, and that was very <laughs> British, advertisement. Yeah, yeah, advertisement, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what it is. You, you're, you're giving your records away to get heard. You get heard, then you monetize it. You go out and you do shows, you try to sell merch, merch you do whatever you can. Endorsements. You um, get, yeah, uh, endorsements, you, get your, you try to do anything you can. You get your music I always say, movies. what happens if you have an artist that's, you know, that's handicapped, they can't tour? Or you know, some, or that's too old to go out and tour, or has kids and can't leave the, and that bothers me because they because they've been taught not to value their art, they give it away, and they struggle, and I don't know who to blame for that. I don't really, but that being said, I don't think I have mercy on the record industry. I was one of the people when Napster happened. I yeah. knew the industry was over. I knew it. I knew right then because artists were begging labels. Then could you please not sell my CD for twenty two dollars? I mean, it, it only costs us uh, 87 cent to make one, make one CD. Can we sell this thing for eight bucks, nine bucks? Nope, they wouldn't do it. And that gave birth to Napster. And Napster gave birth to iTunes. And Let's talk got, about, you know, basically, uh, before we started recording, we talked about uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah. Oh, man, that, 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 yeah, that's the, that's the stuff I do like about today's artists. You do have artists like Adele, Taylor Swift, who are setting a great example for young artists. And regardless of whether you like their music or not, that's irrelevant. The fact that Adele went, I'm not gonna allow my record to be streamed for the first two months because I said so. That's it. Why did she say so? Because she knew that once it started being streamed, she's, like, she's gonna lose a lot of money. So she said, I'm gonna monetize it and then everybody can have it and we can go on. I'll go on tour. Taylor Swift, um, did something. I, I think Apple was going to do, I think, two weeks of free streaming. I think it was or, two months. Yeah, something. And she wrote, talk about passive aggressive. She wrote the <laughs> sweetest, the sweetest open little, letter. Open letters like, and you used to be the friends of the artist. We all loved you. We grew up using your products to make our music. I'm like, oh, <laughs> kick them in the balls. <laughs> and Apple in 24 hours reversed what they were gonna do. That is, not only is it power, but it's wielding your power correctly. It's beautiful. It's it, like it really, really it's really a, an astute sort of lens of justice. And she said, it's not about me. I'm gonna get my money. It's not about me, it's about the next me. It's about the next generation of artists. So, who else is uh, important to you these days? Who, who, who do you keep close to you? Well, you know, mom's number one. Mom's, awesome. mom's number one, always, always will be, man. I, I, she raised me by herself, man, and, and taught me some very interesting things that are not popular. You know, and I always say this to people, like, it's not, capitalism seems to not be popular in the ghetto. I don't understand that because you have to live with it, right? And she would not allow that. She, the sense of, she instilled in me early, work, reward. Work, reward. She, she just kept pinning that in my head. So I didn't 
I never expect anything from anybody. I don't feel entitled to anybody else's anything. And she kind of gave me that. So I, I, I said, I'm going to take care of this woman to the day I leave here, man. What well, an incredible gift, too, because yeah. that's what's keeping you hum humble. Yep. Number you, two, yep. well, not number two necessarily, but my manager. Um, Ricardo is, Ricardo and I met in 1990. And uh, I met Ricardo right here in this very yeah, room. Yeah, Ricardo, Good man, cat. I can honestly say, when I look back at my career, and I look back at the great deal I signed with Rick, where a lot of people were getting screwed royal in, those, in that era, um, the fact that I kept my publishing, and I owe all, most of all that to Ricardo. That dude is, is sharp as hell. Um, and there's kind of this, this trust. People talk about trust, but when you trust a person and you let them, you let them hold your wallet, I'd let him hold my wallet. That's, that's how much I trust Ricardo. He doesn't, like he just, he just sent me a text, hey man, we got this check. He doesn't worry about if I'm gonna pay him. Just, oh, what time are you gonna pay me? I mean, it's just, we have that kind of relationship and that dude is, that's my dude, I'm serious, because he, without him, I'd probably be broke right now. Yeah, probably any, any advice to the folks who were sort of in this process of their career and again this doesn't doesn't uh, or this yet yeah, it applies to everyone whether you're an indie or freelancer or coming up and you start to get momentum and uh, is there some sort of fear tactic or is it all like oh my god enjoy it you've earned it you've you're worth it like what's is there any advice you give to some folks out there about money because you've said it a several you you either have said it or you've suggested that you're lucky to be owning Lamborghinis and stuff that you could have fucked that up and you yep. didn't. Yep. And so what's, what's the takeaway from that? It, it really goes back to what I said before. If you become comfortable with your own success, you won't have it very long. Um, if you, cause I, I you know, we, we all get to that point that we buy that thing. Not necessarily, it doesn't mean a car, it could be anything. Or we, maybe we don't buy anything. We just look at the, we just take the phone and scroll to the bank and go, Got enough commas <laughs> and you get too comfortable it goes away you have to remain hungry you have to i mean unless you're trust fund baby got to remain hungry you man. have to remain hungry it just i mean i know it sounds redundant but no it doesn't yeah so money can it, it doesn't buy a lot of things we've talked about no. in this interview people who are wildly freakishly successful and still uh, not happy and still not happy yep so what's what's uh makes a lot's key to happiness well, you know, I, I, um, is it the pursuit? You've said the word like chase and yeah, you got, yeah, you got to, you got to pursue thing, but at the same time, you have to do what you truly like and not what you think you're supposed to do because you've made it, you know? Um, um so I, you, people trip me out, man. They, a couple of days ago, I, I walk into taco time and I had, I had some overalls on and everybody's like, you know, you Mexican, can see the girl. Mexican country? Yeah, no, no, the girl, this girl's looking at me and she sees my shoes and, she's, and she had this look like, oh my God, he's broke. She, you could see it in her face, yeah. like, you know, but I just wanted a fucking burrito, <laughs> right? I just give me the soft beef burrito. I ordered the same thing every time I go in there, right? And she, but you could see her, can Dungeon. I get an autograph? But she, almost like she felt sorry for me. Hmm. And I signed the autograph and then I walk out and I get in the bin and she's like, you can see her. <laughs> You know, like I thought he was broke. He so I, like a homeless guy. I, I guess I said that to say this: just keep it real, be who you are, and yeah. don't don't let too much change it. Yeah, you can, you have access to more things, but you're no better than anybody else. 
Yeah. You're just lucky as shit. Um, don't get me wrong, you had to work hard to get there. But a lot of people work hard and don't get that break. But a lot of people, and I hope you guys listen to this, a lot of people get the break, but they call it something else. That's, I see that a lot. And we have this thing, me and Reek, we call sniffing a deal. Like things might come up, like we got two TV shows pitching us right now. Um, you know, Oprah's, Oprah's coming, not Oprah literally, but her sure. network um, is coming yeah. to my house in two days. We don't know what's gonna come of that, right? But look at it this way. Each one of those things could be that chance. But if you don't explore all those opportunities, you never know. It goes right by you. I mean, uh, there's an old, uh, I forget the little, it's a religious story. You hear people that are religious, they always say that there was a guy stranded in the ocean and said, he prayed, God, please come help me. You know, and a tugboat came by and he said, hey, come on, jump on. He said, no, God's going to take care of it. You know, then an ocean liner comes by. Come on, Edgar. no, God's going to take care of it. Then he dies. He goes to heaven. He said, why didn't you come help me? He said, I sent a tugboat and an ocean liner. You've got to pay attention when things come. And we have become, we're hypersensitive to potential deals. Even if it doesn't mean money. Example, um, the orchestra thing. I did this thing with the, with the, or- the Seattle Orchestra and, we did maybe got back in Posse on Broadway with them. Was that fun? That was fun, but intimidating. <laughs> Ooh, man, because you, these musicians were not laughing when I got there. You know, I'm there sure. was You're like, like, hey, what's up? Like, what's up? They're like, self. hello, sir. You know, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, and we, we rehearsed once. Did the song one time. Each song once. That was it. So I got to come down the next day and I'm like, oh, man, I was so nervous. And I didn't know when I was supposed to walk out because when they introduce you, they don't, it's not like, Mixalive! They go, blah, 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 Sir Mixalot. And then everybody's like, go! I'm like, oh shit. So I go out and we do this thing. And in the middle of it, you could see the people in the orchestra started to, because I brought girls on the stage, I did the whole thing, and they were having a good time. Once again, they were real people. And anyway, Long story short, we took that. There was no money in it. We didn't get paid a dime from it. But right after that, all of a sudden, I'm on CNN. Nicki Minaj redoes the song. All these things happen. Could it be because we did that and it was kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing? And it, oh shit, you know, or maybe it's nothing. But we try to stay hypersensitive to opportunity because I always feel like people think they never get the opportunity because it doesn't. It doesn't present itself like, here's a check for 10 minutes. Sign here, Bob. It doesn't work that way. You might just get a phone call from It's an invitation to hustle. There you go. There you go. I have an opportunity, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they don't say it at all. The best opportunities in my life have come that way. You can't, they don't reek of opportunities. And the ones that have a check stapled to the contract and like, here you go, sir, please. Yeah, because that's a different different beast. Yeah, that means you just sold your ass, but... No, I, 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 that's why I say when a lot, I'm not saying that everybody's had an opportunity because, but you know, I know that for a fact that a lot of people, a lot of people, depends on how you grew up. My mom was born during the Great Depression. So, you know, to her, opportunity meant somebody was trying to trick her. She was a little paranoid, you know, but for me, I just said, you know, I'm just going to sniff everything if it comes, you know, and let's face it, you probably say the same thing. Nine out of 10 things that get presented to you are complete bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
But that one, you know, and, and it's, I love hearing the stories about how guys got their first deal. Because when you hear it, it's always happenstance. Like I'm good friends with the guy that owns Twitch. Sure. That's, yeah, good good well. buddy of mine. And, it, yeah, you know, well. he did the Justin TV thing. Uh-huh. And then it oh, yeah. turned into something. And I remember when he was working his ass off. He was struggling. He was trying. Then I strapped a camera to his head for six months. Yeah. Then he calls and he says, hey, man, you know, we're going to go over to go down to El Gaucho's and have a meal. He was in town. I said, oh, OK, I'm thinking I'm paying. And he said, oh, no, I'm, I got it. And I looked at him and he had this look almost like he was scared. I'm like, you got a fucking deal. And he did a big one called Amazon. Yes. Amazon <laughs> came in and woohoo. And I, you know, I can't say that I know this, but I noticed he was checking his phone. A lot, and he wasn't texting. I had a feeling he was still going. Are these zeros right? <laughs> I mean, because he, but he's so humble, man. And you know, the cool thing is, there was another company that offered him more, and I don't want to say their name. They offered him a little more, but he took the Amazon deal because he said he wanted the job, wanted to keep working, hungry. I love it, man. Would you talk about lifelong learning? How important is it for you to? Like to me, what I'm just hearing is that you're, you're constantly calculating as you're walking around the opportunities for creativity yeah. and making and doing. Well, as I got, you, you can do one of two things as you get older. You can get lazy and think, I'm too old to do this shit. Or you can see people that you know who say, I get, I'm too old for this shit, and they just sit and watch television all day. That, I don't want to do that. So I realized that using my brain keeps it young, keeps it aggressive. And like I said, I'm not the get off my lawn guy. I, I love sitting in meetings. I sit on a board of a couple of companies and I just, especially when they're all younger than me, it's like the way they think is so interesting to me, you know, um, because they don't have the fears that I had because of what I saw when I was young. And in some things they, they'll refer to me because they don't have that long vision. You know, they can see what's coming around the corner, but I can see what's coming in the next state, you know? And, and so I sit on boards where I listen to them think and talk and reason and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of cool it's really cool to watch a lot of the startups because they have a totally different way of that good old boy bullshit that don't bring the black guy in he's not they don't give a shit <laughs> who writes the best code they don't give a damn if it's a pink elephant bring him in here <laughs> put a laptop in front of him i Get love it working that. i love it i love it I, I don't i there's one thing i don't like about some of the startups though they celebrate funding Somebody has to explain that to me. Now, maybe it's just a different mentality, but why would you celebrate a home loan? Mark Cuban sat in this exact chair, what, just a week ago? Yeah. And said, that's celebrating your first loss. Yeah, Because yeah. what you did is you, ha- you didn't have a good enough business yep. that funded itself for growth. So you're yeah. celebrating your first loss. And I'm obsessed with Shark Tank, too, by the way. <laughs> we'll I watch you, We'll get you guys together. That's Actually, like I got Damon John coming on, too. So. Yeah, he, uh, no, Mark Cuban, I, I like, yeah. because what I like about Mark Cuban on that show is sometimes he's crude, but he tells you what you need to know. And so I learned, now I learned a lot from that show, a whole lot, especially about bringing things to market and getting costs down and margins. And it's like, ugh. Yeah, you know, super smart crew. Mark is uh, very yeah, celebrating smart, is, funding, man. I, I've played some parties for yeah. com- like I was at South by Southwest last year, and there was a company. They had this elevator pitch thing. I think you probably saw it. It was like something. Oh, you go there and pitch and in the yeah, elevator, yeah. and then they had some girl riding in like, like Thor on a horse's giant fucking wood. <laughs> I'm like, what 
the fuck is this? And, I, and somebody said, well, they just got funded. This is, I'm like, well, how much is this cost? Like 400 grand. If I'm an investor, you freak the shit. And I you walk in and you're doing a $400,000 fucking party, I'm burning the fucking place down. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. As soon as, see, I come from a place where you get money from somebody, you might want to get it back <laughs> quick. And not only did I celebrate funding a little bit too much, but they will seek funding when they're in the black. I don't get it. A friend of mine had four million bucks liquid and needed a million bucks to make an order and took on funding. For what? You just gave up some of your company for no reason. Do you not believe that you're gonna make the money? But I think it's a culture. I think it's a culture of people, and I'm not, I'm, and I, I am sounding like get off my lawn, but I don't mean it like that. I think there's a culture now that says, squeeze, 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 sell. Start it again. Squeeze, 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 sell. And that's what it seems like it is. I, if you take pride in what you do, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. You can't just, you can't sell all this. Uh, this is I'm you, telling man. you, Cuban sat right here and said the same thing. Yeah. All right. You mentioned something about the black guy just now. Talking mm-hmm. about race relations in America. Um, yeah, don't get me started on this one, man. I know. I'm just, I want to know. There are some things about this country. I love this country, man, but there's some things that I see that are embarrassing. Um, you don't have to agree uh, with a black guy or a white guy, but how you address them, especially if it's the president, is fucking embarrassing. Now, it, it's not hurting his feelings. He's the fucking president. But, you know, when I saw one guy, I think it was Newt Gingrich, you know, the food stamp president. The fuck are you talking about, dude? Or soft on immigration with no fact. We really, honestly, I think get the rudest fuckers from factcheck.org and let them run debates. So when somebody says he's bad on immigration, when I, if I'm not mistaken, hasn't he deported more illegals than any president in history? Which is kind of fucked up considering who he is, you know, but I think that's true. I'm not sure. But when it comes to race relations, I mean, the thing that's been bothering me lately is, is, is the alarming rate. It's something we've been knowing in the black community forever. But social media and, and cameras have exposed it. It's the alarming rate at which, in which these black kids are getting shot. Violence against. I mean, this. the one in Chicago, people talk about Trayvon Martin, that was bad. But that one in Chicago, where the guy was just walking away, he looked like he was drunk or whatever, talking shit to the cops. Not only did the guy shoot him, he kept shooting. 16 times. Bap, 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 and was gonna reload. He was gonna reload and the guy said, hey man, he stopped him. And I'm like, okay, so why when we talk about that cop, are we saying we don't like police? I don't get, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't add up to me. It's like you, one side can't criticize the other. Um, so, but that being said, you take a black person who does something fucked up and gets the shit kicked out of them and gets thrown in jail, they, you can't criticize the black kid either, right? So it's kind of a, but this, what's happening with cops is kind of bothering me a little bit. And what bothers me even more is that people can't seem to come up with reasonable ways to have discussions about race. It's always us That is really them. the nature of my question. I had a guy named Justin Simeon here who directed a great film called Dear White People. And he yeah. was all about the conversation. Like yeah, the conversation. The I'm conversation. comfortable having the conversation because I think when you have that conversation, not and try to keep, try to keep racists and race hustlers out of the conversation. 
because they need to drive the conversation to a dark point because that's how they make their coin. But you get two guys in here that really don't understand. I have a friend of mine in Louisiana and he said something to me that was interesting and it was untrue, but he had always been taught that it was the case. He said, man, I noticed something about you. He said, I said, what's that? He said, you work for what you get. I said, okay. And? Yeah, exactly. And this is where I could see him turning red, right? Because I knew where he was going. I just wanted him to say, dude, I'm not going to get mad. Just say, he said, but it just seems like sometime when I hear people talk, I said, who's people? And he named some people, a person, a certain reverend that's always on TV, Al Sharpton, I can say it. Sure. He said Al Sharpton, and he said that Al Sharpton was saying, talked a lot about welfare and talked a lot about entitlements, talked a lot about, um, you know, poor people needed the part of the American dream. And he said, it gives me the impression that he doesn't work. I'm like, but he's, his name's not Anthony Ray. It, and it's, he lumped, he took one guy and he went, yeah. that's all of you where we don't do that. But I yeah. noticed, and I, and I told him, I said, dude, he's one guy, I can disagree with him. Now, that being said, he did point out something that made me think. He said, how come nobody black disagrees with them publicly? Like, God damn, that's pretty good. Because that's why he thinks we're monolithic, right? He just believes that, well, fuck, you're all like that because he said so. And that's what I mean. That conversation needs to be had, but people are very uncomfortable with it because, you know, it, it makes it, but it should make you feel a little awkward. Absolutely. Because once you understand one another and understand where we come from, and the, the Beyonce video was another one. A lot of people thought that video was racist because she used the word Negro. And this is where I think understanding culture is important. Um, she used the word Negro in describing her parents. I am 52 and my birth certificate does say Negro. That's what she was saying. Negro made it with Creole and out came me. That's what she was saying. It wasn't like a, and you know, the kid dancing with the black hood with the don't, don't kill me. That wasn't racist. That was true. That's what's happening. So for me, race is, is, is a dicey issue. I don't talk about it very often. Yeah, that's why I, yeah. I, uh, I'm, but I'm a political geek. I'm, I'm serious. I am a political nut. I pay attention to politics. My mom forced me to do it when I was in school. She always said, honey, you're black. And I don't want you to be in an elevator full of white guys. And they go, what do you think of the vice president? And you're like, who's the vice president? That was her, that was her logic, right? You are going to, this is when CNN was new. You're going to watch. She made me watch the news two hours a day. Wow. During the summer, you know, when you're not, I had to watch and, and that got me. Politics is very important, and I think on the liberal side, we're a little lazy when it comes to voting. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a um, I guess socially, I'm definitely left-leaning, because I think legalized marijuana, waste. If you're gonna, it's hypocritical to have alcohol legal and not well, have alcohol, marijuana legal. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, don't get That makes no, no fucking sense to yeah. me at all. You're gonna make both of them illegal, because I've never seen a, a pothead driver run over 10 kids and, and get out and, and piss. You know, it's just, yeah. they're just too laid back, right? I got to, trust me, I know, got a few of them around. But. Well, I, I appreciate you going there for me a yeah. little bit. That's, uh, and again, yeah. we could dedicate a whole yeah, that, yeah. show it's, to that. I just wish we'd talk more and stop hollering. The loudest voice in the room always gets to, the squeaky wheel gets to grease, as my dad used to say. They just yell and we listen to them instead of talking to each other. It's a lot easier. You'd be, you'd be surprised how much you got. I had one, one friend of mine who I think is racist, and nope. he's a white dude, and I okay. don't think he's racist. 
I don't think he knows it. Institutional but, sort of yeah, it's systemic. just stuck in him that he he says words, and I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, dude, you, that's not cool. But initially, I thought, fuck him. But now I realize, you know what? Bring him in. And as we get around each other, you can see him a new understanding because he gets around my group now. And he's like, oh man, what's up? How you doing? Blah blah blah. He starts to get it, and that's cool. That's Congratulations. Cool. That's why I stopped that's using great. the N word on records. I don't do it no more. I don't tell anybody else not to. I would never do it again because I realized, how do you get mad when somebody says it if you're selling them records and making it look like it's all good? Now, some rappers are the opposite. They don't mind if a white guy calls them that. I don't, I don't like it, so I just stopped doing it. Don't be a hypocrite. Um, what am I not asking that I should? This is my last question. Uh, you're not asking me what we're going to order when we go to the Thai food restaurant. Let's talk about that. I'm yeah. going to crush some pod key mao. See, I can't even say that. Pod Pre King, which is the beef with the green, uh, the, the green beans and the peppers, like the, the is chili. Is it like edamame a little bit? Or? A little bit, but they're just actual green beans. They're like green beans like Ugh. my mom used to make me eat. This guy eats healthy, man. I'm scared to say my order. But Pod Thai, chicken Pod Thai, four star? Oh, yeah. Now, now we can do four star. Woo! Dude, you're going <laughs> to shit fire, man. I got I to fly to New York in the morning. That's probably not pretty It's bad when it hits the toilet. go. <laughs> What are you going to order? Come on. Uh, I'm probably going to do something simple. I'm going to do the garlic chicken, three star. Three star? And I always do um, the Thai fried rice oh. with prawns, but I do it with brown rice. Because the brown rice has a different texture. We're going to crush yeah. this food gonna, right and now. And my breath's going to be fucked. <laughs> I'm just walking. I'm, I think I'm going to walk into someplace real classy afterwards. Excuse me. Hi. Hi. My name is Harry, and I'm hunkering for a <laughs> hunk of cheese. <laughs> Just like, damn, mix his breath is fucked up. Next, thanks a lot. Right on, man. Much gratitude, much respect. Right on. Let's go get some grub. Yeah, let's do it. What time is it? What oh, time I don't even have my watch on. That's man. right. What time is it? It's time to go. Thanks a lot, Internet, for taking care of uh, holding us in this space while we ramble and hope you took something away from you it. You really had Mark Cuban here? Yeah, no, actually, I was, uh, it was in Austin with Mark last week. Mark what is the yeah. man, dude. He's a man. Yeah, man. Arrogant fucker, but I love him. <laughs> He's pretty good at what he does. Yeah. Hey, Signing see. off. We got to go. We got to get some Thai food up in here. Thanks a lot, everybody. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this. Also, uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.